Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, Joseph finally gets out of prison. And then we just spend a lot of time talking about God and what he was doing through all of Joseph's suffering. And then Joseph and how his character grew and his skill set grew. And then we end with how we handle our suffering and what God might be doing through that and how we can have hope and trust him and know that he's there with us and he has a plan. And then how we can make sure that we come out of it stronger and better than we were before. Genesis 41, Lesson 5. Now, just as a quick side note, I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode, I'll introduce the title, so if you want the entire study in writing, you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under $5. Each one will cover two to three months' worth of episodes, And once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. Before we get started today, I want to let you know that if you're listening to this in real time, I do not have the study quite finished for you to buy online. I'm very, very close. And hopefully by next week, if not, definitely by the next, I will have it done. But if you're listening to it in real time, just give me a little bit more time to finish this study because right now I'm just kind of doing it one week at a time, but it'll be done soon. And if not, if you're listening to this, you know, a few weeks afterwards, then go ahead and look online because it should be there. Okay, so I want to remind you last week what we were talking about is Joseph was in prison and two of Pharaoh's servants had been put in prison and both of them had had a dream and Joseph interpreted both of their dreams and they both came true exactly as he told them that they would. One of them got out and was restored to his position as the cupbearer of Pharaoh. And Joseph had told the cupbearer about how he had been falsely imprisoned. And he asked the cupbearer to tell Pharaoh when he got out that there was a man there that had been falsely imprisoned and try to get Joseph out. And it ended by saying that the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but he forgot about him whenever he got out. And so we spent much of our time talking about why we do that. Why do we allow ourselves to not honor our promises whenever things get good again? And why we don't rely on God as we should when times are good and only whenever the times are bad do we really call on Him. And so if you missed that episode, you might want to go back and listen to that because we do all just need a reminder of how much God takes care of us and all of the things that He's done for us in our difficult times. And we need to take all of those things that we learned in that time and bring it out and use that in the times that are good for us. And then also remember the people that were there with us through the difficult times so that we can help them in the same way that they helped us. So that's what we talked about last week. This week, we're going to pick up where we left off last week when it says that the cupbearer forgot Joseph. So let's start reading beginning in Genesis 41.1. It says, Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by the river. Suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. He slept and dreamed a second dream. And suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all of his wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults this day. 
When Pharaoh is angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, we each had a dream in one night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. And we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass, just as he interpreted for us. So it happened. He restored me to my office, and he hanged him. Okay, we're going to stop right there. So it says that it's been two full years since the cupbearer got out of prison, and Pharaoh has two dreams. It looks as though he has these two dreams both in the same night. Now, we talked a lot last time about why the cupbearer did not tell Pharaoh right whenever he got out about Joseph. And it looks as though one of the reasons may be because he just didn't want to remind Pharaoh of this. Notice when he's telling Pharaoh about Joseph, he says, Oh, yes, today I remember my faults and whenever you were angry with me and you put me in the custody of the captain of the guard. And so it's like, I really didn't want to mention this before because, you know, you were mad. And so I kind of kept this to myself. But now that it's going to make you happy and it's going to be helpful, I think I'll go ahead and tell you about my time in prison. So it just shows us that he probably didn't just get busy and forget Joseph. He probably just didn't want to hurt himself by mentioning that because this was a bad time in his life. So he just kind of wants to forget about that. Now, I also want you to notice before we get into these dreams that it's been two years since all of this happened. And so Joseph is in a constant weight status. I gave you a little spoiler at the start and told you that he gets out of prison. And so I'm going to go ahead and let you know that he's 30 years old when he gets out of prison. And he was sold at the age of 17. And so his entire young adult life has been in slavery and captivity. And if you happen to be a person that can relate to that when it feels like pretty much most of your life has been difficult so far, or a good chunk of it, if you've got, you know, 13 years going, then be patient and have hope as you watch Joseph's life in his 30s and his 40s, because things change for him dramatically. And so that type of thing can happen for us too. Joseph's story so far has been one of suffering, but it's going to become one of great hope. And it's actually one of my very favorite stories in the Bible to hear about because it definitely helps me have hope whenever things are difficult. So these two dreams he has both in one night and no one can interpret the dreams. Generally, they have magicians that are able to do this in Egypt, but no one could interpret them. And so he told him about Joseph, who was able to interpret dreams. So let's listen to what Pharaoh's response to that is, beginning in verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon, and he shaved, changed his clothes, and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream and there's no one that can interpret it, but I've heard it said that you can understand a dream and interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh and said, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. So Pharaoh was happy to entertain the idea that Joseph might be able to interpret his dreams. And so he got him out and he got him cleaned up and he came to Pharaoh and Pharaoh said, you know, I had a dream and I heard that you know how to interpret them. Nobody else can. And Joseph was pretty bold because he kind of contradicted Pharaoh right off the bat. He said, well, really, it's not me. It's God, but God will help. He also is contrasting his power with the magicians of Egypt. And that's also kind of risky. I want you to also notice the very end of it. It says, God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. So now Pharaoh's going to tell Joseph his dreams. Let's go ahead and read verse 17. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream, I stood on the bank of the river. Suddenly, seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then, behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such ugliness as I've never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven fat cows. And when they had eaten them up, no one could have known that they had eaten them for they were just as ugly as in the beginning. So I awoke. Also, I saw in my dream, and suddenly seven heads came up on one stalk, full and good. 
Then, behold, seven heads withered, thin and blotted by the east wind sprang up after them. And the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one that could explain it to me. So we notice a couple of extra things whenever Pharaoh tells Joseph his dream, as opposed to when he was telling the magicians in the first place. He says that he's never seen cows this ugly before. Nothing that's looked this bad. So these were not just skinny cows. They were horrible looking. And then also notice, which is an important part of this dream, that when the thin cows ate the fat cows, they still looked as skinny and as sickly as they did before. It's as if they never ate. They looked like they were starving to death. They looked like they had no food, even after they had eaten a large amount of food. Okay, so let's listen to Joseph's interpretation, beginning in verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty heads blotted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is one thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because this thing is established by God and will shortly be brought to pass. So Joseph says, these dreams are the same. You had two dreams that mean the exact same thing. And the reason is because when God has something that's firmly established, he tells it to you twice in different ways so that you can see that he means it. Like this is going to happen. And then he tells you again in a different way, this is going to happen. And so he says, the number seven, just as in the dreams with the cupbearer and the baker, the numbers equal time. And so in the cupbearer and the baker's dream, they had three branches and three baskets equaled three days. This, there are seven fat cows and seven skinny cows. And then there are seven stalks of grain and seven bad stalks of grain. And those seven equals seven years. So he said the seven fat cows and the seven fat pieces of grain are seven good years where the whole land is going to produce a lot. The land is going to be fat. For seven years, there is going to be a lot, a lot of food. But then the seven skinny cows and the seven thin stalks of grain are seven years of famine. And just as in the dream where the seven thin cows ate up the seven fat cows, the seven years of famine are going to eat up the years of plenty as if they never existed. It's going to look as if there was never an abundance of food in this land. It's going to be so severe that the famine is going to completely wipe off any trace of food that there is in this land. And so he tells him, God told you this so that you would know because he's about to do it. And so just before we move on, I want you to think for a moment about how Pharaoh doesn't know Joseph's God. The Egyptians worshipped many gods. They had a god for the sun and a god for the moon and a god for the rain and all of these different things. But they don't know the god of all things. They don't know him. Joseph's god is just one other god to him. But he really is in charge of Pharaoh, whether Pharaoh knows him or not. He is Pharaoh's lord. He is still in charge of the earth that Pharaoh is living on and the lives and the nation that he's living in. He's the author of Pharaoh's dreams. He is the one that is about to carry out all of the things that are going on in Pharaoh's life and all around him. Listen to what it says in Acts 17, beginning in verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription. To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. 
God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, doesn't dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all of the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Okay, so these people also worshipped many gods. And so Paul is going through and he's seeing all of their idols and he sees one that says to the unknown God. So they're so afraid that they're going to forget a God that they have one that's like, this covers everything if we don't already have him. And he said, the unknown God that you worship without even knowing it is God, the father, the one true God, the one that created the heavens and the earth, the one that doesn't even need you and the one that gives life to everything. He determines your pre-appointed times and the boundaries of where you live so that you might seek him. In this God, everyone lives and moves and has their being. Everyone is his. He created us. And so that's what Pharaoh is doing. God is Pharaoh's God, even when he doesn't know it. Pharaoh may not be worshiping him, but what is happening with Pharaoh is happening because of God the Father, Joseph's God. And Pharaoh's willing to listen to Joseph's God because he sees that this God is very powerful. And so Joseph continually tells Pharaoh about his God and about how he is the one that is going to do these things. He's the one that's given the dream. He's the one that's given the ability to interpret the dream. And all of the events that follow are going to be under his control. And so I just want us to think for just a moment, do we give God that much credit in our own lives? You know, can we say it's not me, it's God? Do we acknowledge him as the Lord of this earth and the Lord of our lives? Do we realize that he is sovereign over our past and our present and our future? Do we see him as powerful and all-knowing, almighty Lord of creation? Okay, so let's go ahead and continue reading what happens after Joseph has interpreted these dreams, beginning in Genesis forty-one thirty-three. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as wise and discerning as you. You shall be over my house, and all the people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Okay, let's stop right there. So not only does Joseph interpret these dreams, but he goes on further to instruct the king as to what to do now that he knows about these dreams. Again, this is pretty bold, but Pharaoh has called on him and asked him what these dreams meant. And he is giving his interpretation of the dreams and telling him, here's what you need to do about this is why God gave you the dream is so you would know what to do. And so you need to appoint someone to take care of the food during this time of plenty so that whenever the time comes with this famine, there will still be food because otherwise everyone's going to die. That's the reason God told you about it is so you can do something about it right now. And his instruction was for basically Pharaoh to impose a 20% tax upon the people. This is the first mention of a tax that the people give to the government for the government to manage for the whole country. It's the first mention of that. And you notice that it comes in a time of difficulty, in a time whenever the whole nation is going to go through something together as a whole. And in order for that nation to be okay, then everyone has to contribute. 
a lot of times this is kind of scary. It's kind of a scary thing whenever you start giving your money to someone else to manage. But thankfully, this person that was in charge was under the leadership of God. And Pharaoh trusted that, that Joseph knew what he was talking about. And he knew that this is what needed to happen. And so he welcomed Joseph's counsel. And he said, if I'm going to get a wise and discerning man, providing that you're the one that this has been revealed to, I can't think of anyone more wise and discerning as you. So let's go ahead and make you the one that's in charge of all of this. So in making him second in charge of Egypt, these are all of the things that Pharaoh did for Joseph, beginning in verse 42. Pharaoh took his signet ring off of his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and he clothed him in the garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had, and they cried out before him, bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph by an Egyptian name that I can't pronounce. And he gave him a wife, Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Okay, so we talked in a previous episode, I can't remember exactly which one it was, about Judah and what the signet ring was. So if you remember, if you listened to that episode, the signet ring is basically their identification and it is how they would sign documents. So it said, you know, this belongs to this man and I am signing this saying I agree to it or whatever. And it says that Pharaoh put this ring on Joseph's hand. So that means that Joseph is allowed to make any rule that he chooses to make concerning these things and sign Pharaoh's name to it. And that makes it binding. It's as if Pharaoh himself declared that this was going to happen. That's how much power Joseph had in the land of Egypt at this time. And then he gave him royal garments and he put a gold chain around his neck, just made him look honorable. And then he put him in the second chariot behind him and rode through the town and basically announced to all of Egypt that Joseph was going to be in charge now. And then he gave him an Egyptian name and an Egyptian wife. All of this just showed that Joseph is one of them. He's an Egyptian. He's important. And then notice again that we talked about this earlier, but he was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh the king. So it had been 13 years since he had been sold by his brothers before he became the second in charge of all of Egypt. And so again, we're just going to talk about that for a moment, what his life was like. Let's go through the timeline just a little bit from the time that he got sold because it was not a steady climb to the top. It was kind of like every time that things might look like they're going to turn out okay, then another shoe would drop, right? Because he was sold into slavery by his brothers and that was horrible. But then his master liked him and that was good. Then his master puts him in charge of his whole estate. And he's thinking, okay, things are looking up. You know, I am not with my family, but at least I get to be an important man in this man's house and everything's going okay. And then the man's wife accused him of rape. So back again, everything horrible. He's thrown into prison and that seems like a horrible thing. But then he realizes, well, the prison guard likes me and he's putting me in charge here of the prisoners. And then this actually gives him opportunity to meet some prisoners that Mike could get him out. And so he explains his situation to this person and he has hope again. Maybe I'm going to get out. Maybe I'm going to be free. Everything's going to be good. But then when this man was set free, he forgot about Joseph. Nothing's happening. And that went on for two more years. You know, Joseph's only a man in his 20s, but he must have assumed, you know, okay, apparently I'm just going to live in this dungeon forever. Never going to see my family again. Never going to function in the outside world freely. You know, was he thinking about his dreams and wondering how in the world is my family going to bow down to me if I'm in this prison? Is this really going to happen? Was I wrong about my own interpretation? What is going on? Maybe he wasn't. Maybe he thought that this was all going to happen and he was just biding his time, but he's in prison and it doesn't look like he's getting out. 
And so these are difficult times. Maybe he was thinking that somehow he was going to rule his family, but also he may have been just accepting that he was probably going to live out, you know, decades in prison and completely powerless over anyone, much less his brothers, anyone other than the prisoners. Here's the thing that Joseph didn't know, that all these years of oppression were preparation for later rule that he was going to have, because every step of the way he'd been put in charge by his masters. Do you notice that? Every single place he went, he was put in charge by the person above him. And so God was giving him the time and the opportunity to practice all of the managerial skills and all the administrative skills that he was going to need to later govern a nation along with all those people that lived around that nation. He had been strategically placed to be accessible by the king, right? He was in Potiphar's house by design because Potiphar was an important person. And then he was in that prison at the exact right time. He was in the perfect place at the perfect time to be accessible to the king. And then he had been given experience on so many different levels so that he would be ready whenever the time came for him to be called by the king. If he would have just been grabbed out at the age of 17 and been maybe sold into Pharaoh's house himself, well, he may never have gotten this opportunity and he may have never learned all of the things that he needed to learn. But luckily, God knew what he needed. And so every place he was put in charge of a little bit more. Notice at first he's just put in charge of a household. And then after that, he's put in charge of a prison system. Several people, right? And then he's put in charge of the whole kingdom of Egypt. So he's learning on different levels, different situations, how to manage and take care of a large group of people in different situations. God is doing that to prepare him for what God knows is going to be ahead. Joseph didn't know what was ahead. He had been given a little glimpse that his brothers and his father would bow down to him, but he doesn't know how that's going to come about. And it's very possible that he was very confused about all of that because God didn't give him the whole story. He didn't tell him you're going to be in captivity, but then you're going to get out and all of these things are going to happen. He just had to trust that in the end, God was going to be able to do what his dreams had said that he was going to do. And in the meantime, he just had to be willing to be used by God. So let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Let's finish the rest of this chapter. So beginning in verse 47, it says, Now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. And so he gathered up all the food of the seven years, which were in the land of Egypt, and laid up the food in the cities. And he laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea, until he stopped counting because it was immeasurable. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all the toil of my father's house. And then the second he named Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. The famine was in all the lands, but in the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all the countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all the land. So just as Joseph said, there were seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And during the seven years of plenty, he began to collect the food. And at first he was keeping record of all of it, but it just began to be too much. He couldn't even keep record of how much food there was because remember, he's taking 20% of it and it is 20% of abundant amounts of food. This isn't just a normal amount of food that they're producing. This is seven years of plenty. And so they have plenty, plenty of food. And so he can't keep track of all of it. 
And it says that during this time, not only was the land fruitful, but also was his wife. And so she had two sons for him. And the first one's name was Manasseh. And that means forget. And he names him this because he says, God has made me forget all of the work and all of my father's house, all of the sadness. God made me forget. God gave me such blessing now that I'm able to not be dwelling in the past of all of the bad things that have been going on in my life. And then Ephraim's name means fruitful. And he said he names him this because God has made him fruitful in the land of his affliction. In the land where everything was bad, God still made Joseph fruitful. He let him come out of this suffering with abundance. And so when the seven years of plenty were complete and the seven years of famine came in severity, then food was lacking everywhere. And Egypt was the only place that had food. And that's because of Joseph and Joseph's God. And so he continued to manage the storehouses, but instead of just giving this food away because he needed to make sure that it would last, he sold this food to the people so that he could ration it out and make sure that it would last for all of the time that it needed to. And this kept Egypt from being devoured by the famine, just like the times of plenty never happened, as the dream said, you know. The famine made the land look as if there was no fruit, but since they had saved it, there was. And so the famine didn't eat up every single bit of food that they had like it had never existed, like the skinny cows did when they ate the fat cows. And so God had used Joseph first to interpret the king's dreams and then to develop and carry out this plan that was going to save all the nations. And so Joseph was oppressed. But God was with him the whole entire time and he gave him favor on every master and he placed him in the exact right places at the exact right times. And he grew Joseph all along the way and equipped him for every task that he needed at that moment and all of the tasks that he would need ahead of him. Through all the years of affliction, Joseph not only was developing these job skills, but he was also developing character because he had to endure through this time. And so God was growing him wise and discerning and making him fully dependent on the Lord. And through all of this perseverance, he gains understanding of God and how wonderful and powerful and sovereign he is. And he served him through all of that time. And so that's where I want us to end is think about ourselves. Have we ever felt like we just can't catch a break? You know, like how we were talking earlier about Joseph. It's like, oh, things are looking up. Nope, never mind. Everything's horrible. Oh, maybe everything's turning around now. Nope. It's just one thing after the other. You feel like you're doing everything right and then everything just turns out wrong. Have you ever just felt in your heart that the future would be brighter like he did with his dream? Like, I thought that I was supposed to rule, but then there's just no evidence that that's ever going to happen, ever going to come true. Listen to what God says about that in Hebrews 11. So Hebrews is the faith chapter and it introduces itself like this. It says, now faith is the substance of things that is hoped for, the evidence of things that are not seen. Faith is the evidence of what we don't see. So if we have faith, even though it doesn't look like there's any evidence, faith is our evidence. Faith in God is our evidence of the things that we don't see. Skip down to verse three. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things that are visible. By faith, we believe that. And then it goes on and it talks about how Abel had faith and Enoch had faith and Noah had faith and Abraham and Sarah. And then this is what it says about them in verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, they were assured of them. They embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God isn't ashamed to be called their God because he has a city prepared for them. 
So he's talking about all those people and he said they believed in the promises that God was giving them, but they never actually got to see them because God promised this land to Abraham, but Abraham never got to see it. And so he believed that it would happen, even though he saw no evidence of it because he had that much faith in the Lord. It says that if they would have recalled that place that they came out of, they would have had opportunity to return to it. But they didn't continue to look behind. Just as Joseph named his first son Manasseh because he said God let him forget the bad things that had happened before and allowed him to look ahead to what might happen in the future. That is the hope that Joseph had. That is how he got through. And it says here at the end of this, it says they desired a better, more heavenly country because they knew that the promises would be fulfilled on this earth that God had said. But even if they didn't see them, they would see God's promises fulfilled in heaven. And so sometimes we get to see the end of our suffering here on this earth and we get to see how God pulls us out and all our hope is placed in that happening here on this earth. But sometimes we don't see that. Sometimes we don't see the end of it. We get those ups and downs here on this earth, good and bad, but we don't ever get out completely like Joseph did. Sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes what happens is we just have to long for a better, more heavenly country. We have to know that when we get to heaven, like the song says, you know that song, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. That's when we know we have the victory. We may not see that here on this earth. We may because God has a different plan for each of us, but we can always have hope that either here on this earth or definitely in heaven, we will have victory. And that will be a glorious day. So we can always have faith in a God that is in control, a God that loves us, a God that is there for us. You know, sometimes we just wonder, where is God? Why is he letting us go through such heartache and pain? If I was Joseph, that's what I would be thinking. I think I would be like, where are you? Why are you letting me endure this? But is it possible that in our time of pain that God could be preparing us for the realization of a dream that he has for our lives in the future? I wonder how God could be preparing you today. What skills and character traits could you be developing in your difficult time? That's what we need to be thinking about. Because we know that God is going to bring us out at some point, either here on this earth or in heaven. And what can we be learning and how can we be acting? What character traits can we be building at that moment for when God brings us out of this place? Listen to what it says in Romans 5, 3 through 5. And not only that, but we also glory in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. Now, hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that was given to us. So in our time of tribulation, we can glory in that because we know that it produces perseverance and character and hope. And the kind of hope that we can have in God doesn't disappoint us because of what we heard in that verse before, because God always is victorious. His love has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, so we always have Him. Even if we don't have any idea what His plan is or how He's preparing us for the future, we know He's there. From everything we've studied so far, we at least know He's there. And He cares and He's powerful. We know that we can trust Him. And if we know all of those things, then we can be comforted and we can know that we can have hope like that and it can't disappoint us. So I'm telling you today, if you're going through a difficult time or when you do, place your hope in God. He's the best leader, the best Lord, the best counselor that we could ever, ever have. And if you happen to have made it through to the other side of your suffering, do you see God's hand now? You know, sometimes we don't see it. Obviously, he had 13 years where he didn't know what was going on. But when he looks back, he can see God's hand. Now, looking back on Joseph's life, we can see God's hand. And so can you do that in your own life? Can you see how God's hand was in it the entire time? Even when you didn't know what was going on, he was there and he was doing something. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Now, may the Lord God of peace 
who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. May he make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. May God, in those times that are difficult, work through you, making you complete for every good work so that you can fulfill his will. That's what he was doing for Joseph. He was making Joseph complete so that Joseph could carry out his will for the people. And he was working what was pleasing in his sight, what God wanted in Joseph's life. He was working that out. So could he be doing that in our lives? Most definitely he is. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. So this is saying, do not lose heart. Do not lose hope. Even though, you know, outwardly everything may be bad, God inwardly can be renewing us every single day. And so even though things can be difficult, God can be renewing us in our hearts and on our minds so that we can still have hope. And it says that our light affliction is only for a moment, but it is working a far more exceeding and eternal thing for God's glory. And so right now, this doesn't feel like a light affliction, right? But in the grand scheme of things, anything that's going on in our small amount of years really is only for a moment. And it really is a light affliction whenever we consider the far more exceeding and eternal glory that God is working through that. And so it says that we look at the things that are seen, but those are temporary things. But the eternal things that God is working in us, they may not be seen, but they are of so much more weight. So we just have to keep remembering that. Even if the things that we see are bad, those are only temporary things. But the things that God is working in us that are eternal, we may not see, but they're the most important. The spiritual things, the character things, the heavenly things, the things that belong to God's kingdom, those are the things that are the most important. So if you're out of those hardships, think about this. Can you say like Joseph did when he had Manasseh that God has helped you forget your hardships? And then as he did with Ephraim, that now you're fruitful. Have you grown through those hardships, gotten stronger, more capable than you were before? That's God's intention for us. He wants us to be able to have hope in those times and make it through those times stronger and more fruitful than ever before so that all of the things that we have later eat up all of the bad things so that we forget them. It's as if they didn't even exist. You know how it said that the skinny cows ate up the fat cows? Well, in this situation... The fatness that Joseph acquired ate up all of the times of famine. And that's what God wants us to be able to say in our own lives is that when we get out of our time of lacking, that we can say we are more abundant. We are more fruitful. We have grown through that. And now we have more character, more wisdom, more understanding, more of all of the good things that he was growing in us during that time. So I want to tell you just a few more verses. We have a lot of verses because I want you to see that there is much scripture to back up the things that I'm saying here. This is not just the story of Joseph, not just a one instance type of thing. This is how God works. Listen to John 15, 1 through 8. This is Jesus talking. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. 
Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch can't bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone doesn't abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. For you abide in me, and my words abide in you, and you will ask what you desire, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. And so notice how he says, every branch that is in Jesus that bears fruit, God prunes. And you know, pruning is not a comfortable process if you happen to be a tree and someone is cutting your branches off, right? But we do that to trees so that all of the nutrients doesn't have to go out to the entire long branch and exhaust itself so that it can build up in these short branches so that when the time of growing comes, that branch can blossom and grow more than ever before because it has an abundance of nutrients in that place. And so that's what Jesus is saying that he does for us. He cuts us down sometimes, cuts things away from us so that our nutrients can build, so that his character trait, his fruits can be all gathered in one place. And then when the time of abundance comes, when the time of growth comes, we will be able to become abundantly fruitful in a way that we never would have been before. That's how we bear much fruit. But he says the only way we can do that is if we stay in him. We cannot bear any fruit if we do not stay in Jesus. So in those times of lacking, if we just cut those branches and then we never watered them and we never gave them any kind of nourishment, then they would just wither away. But if we cut them and then we feed them where they're able to build up all of those nutrients, then they can grow in abundance. And so it's the same with us. If God just cut us down and then left us, then we would wither away. But it's the same thing with us. If God cuts us away and we leave him, we don't stay in him, then we'll wither away. But if we stay in him, then we can bear much fruit. Jesus says we can't do anything without him. And then notice at the end, it says, by this, the father is glorified that we bear much fruit. That is what makes God happy is us bearing a lot of fruit. That is his ultimate goal. And so if sometimes there is a time of pruning going on, then we just have to stay with Jesus and grow and allow all of that abundance to build up in us so that whenever that time comes for us to bear fruit, we're ready. We have all that Jesus has been feeding us. We have it all right there ready. Now, listen to Romans 8. We're just going to skip around in Romans 8. So the first verse is Romans eight eighteen, And it says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. So that's very similar to the verse that we read earlier that talks about how the unseen eternal things can't be compared with the temporary seen things. They are much more weighty. It's like that. He's saying our suffering of this present time can't even be compared to the glory that is going to be revealed in us later whenever this suffering is over. If we just stay in Jesus. I skip down to verse 24. For if we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for the things that they see? But if we hope for the things we don't see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So again, the things that we see may not be all there is to it. But if we hope for the things that we don't see, those are the things that are important. Skip down to verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and those that are called according to his purpose. We know that God called Joseph according to his purpose. God had a purpose for Joseph's life and he called him and he worked all things together for his good. So if we love the Lord and we are called according to his purpose, then God is working all things together for our good and his glory. Let's skip down to verse 31. 
What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? There's not much explanation needed for that verse, is there? God is for us, then who can be against us? Last verse, James 1, verse 2 through 4. My brothers, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Do we do that? Probably not. But God says to do that because whenever he tests our faith, then he gives us patience. And that patience has to come to its completion so that we can not lack anything. We don't want to be like this time of famine. And it says that if we do lack these character traits, these things that God desires for us, then ask. And it says that God gives liberal to those who ask him for these types of things. So this is the huge lesson, or at least one of the huge lessons of Joseph's life for us. It tells us, hey, this may be bad, but do not lose hope. Trust in the Lord. He has a plan. He is in control and we can trust him. And so if you're going through a difficult time right now, remember that God may be trying to prepare you for something. So learn the skills and the character traits that he is trying to teach you. If he is pruning you, then allow him to feed you so that you have this abundance building up in you so that when the time comes for you to be fruitful and blossom out, that you're able to do that. Stay in the vine. Stay in Jesus so that he can produce those things in you. And then if you've already gotten out of that place, then look back and see if you can see God's hand. And if he's helped you forget your hardships, and if you are stronger than you were before, if you've developed something that you would not have developed if not for the Lord, let Joseph's suffering and then later victory be a hope to you today. Let it be an encouragement in any time of suffering that you have on this earth. Joseph's story is one of the most encouraging stories when we make it to the end. Probably him and Job, when we see their end to their suffering. That can give us hope. So next week, we're going to talk about the fulfillment of Joseph's dreams. And so you'll want to come back and hear that because the time finally comes when Joseph is able to realize his dreams. And it's an awesome time. So make sure that you subscribe so that you don't miss that episode. And then leave me a five-star review, comments, wherever you're listening. You can email me. My email address is Courtney at livethroughjesus.com. Thanks and have a good day.